Well, good morning, church family, both in-house and online, and uh, it is Palm Sunday, and uh, I have this, uh, seriously, every Palm Sunday, I have this mix of emotions with Palm Sunday. Uh, Why is that? Well, because, one, Palm Sunday is super cool. I mean, when you think about it, I think at the time, Jerusalem probably has a couple million people in and around Jerusalem coming together for the Passover time. I think there are probably a good 100,000 people on the entry as Jesus comes in on a donkey, and we kind of think that's kind of silly, but in that day, entering a city on a donkey was a king returning from victory. And so uh, he's coming into the city on a donkey. People are throwing their coats. They're throwing palm branches down in it. And in it, they're declaring, Hosanna, the son of David. That's interesting. The son of David. And they are calling out to him and, and declaring him as the one who has come and shouting out. And what an exciting day that must have been. Boom, yaw. And then less than a week later, there he is dead on a cross right on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Like, whoa. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. Whee! (laughs) And so Palm Sunday, maybe I should say it this way, it is this entering point for the one to come to stand in the gap. We're going to see some of that, I think, in our text today here in just a minute. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23, 1 Samuel chapter 23. In my Bible, it's page 245, I think, in the Bibles in the seats, it's page 230, Uh, but turn their Bibles open. Uh, At this point in time, we've been studying uh, from chapter 15, we're now into chapter 23, and we've been studying and learning about what God's been at work doing, and and we've been learning David's been on the run, Saul's been chasing him down. And it really, if you read through the rest of First Samuel, you're like, man, are you going to preach like the same thing every Sunday? Like uh, uh, Saul's chasing him and David's running. Uh, that could kind of summarize up uh, in many ways what the rest of the book is about. But, but there are things that are taking place, there are really important things that are happening with what's going on. And today's going to be one of these days that I'm really kind of going to pull out of the events of the narrative because uh, just as I spent time with this text this week, there's some things that are going on in this text that I'll just say for me were really important. And it's kind of like this. I want this story as our story. I want what I'm Lord willing, going to bring out of, not, not the, so much the events, but what's happening in this with David and the Lord and David and his men and Jonathan, just what's going on there. I'm like, that story, that, that's the thing I want in my life going on. I want it looking like that. And so Lord willing, uh, I'm going to try and take you there with that. Well, uh, David, David's on the run and he's kind of been running around these uh, uh, places that you're like, no, that's not vacation land. Uh, In fact, here's a picture uh, on the screen of what the terrain looked like in the area where we're going to be at. Now, you may think, boy, having a house with that view and like some really nice restaurants and some Walmart and some stuff down the road, that would be awesome. Hey, uh, know this, uh, you don't have a house and there is no restaurants, there's no Walmart. I mean, you're living in this 
context. And it's been some decade of time that David's been on this run. And one of the amazing things about it all, at what point in time do you end up getting to where you just start getting bitter at God about, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living in the desert on the run where everything's dead around me. And uh, like, God, you told me I'm supposed to be king. Can we just get there? Can we just get there? And uh, well, uh, here's this 28-year-old and an amazing thing, he continues just to be a young man who inquires of the Lord. I wanted this story as our story. So let's go there. I've titled this, uh, this story as our story today. And uh, let's grab it. Again, we're not so much in the events of everything, of the narrative. I just want us to see. So allow me that room to kind of step out of what normally happens. Uh, let me read uh, verses 1 through 4. And uh, we'll get rolling here. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Don't have time to go into what all that is about. But therefore, here's the thing, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said, by the way, the Lord speaks to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? There's various reasons for that. As we saw in chapter 22 that he's got this uh, misfit island group of about 400 men that are like, Hey, life is like giving us a, a bad deal. We'll join you. <laughs> we'll just be along with you. And so they're also like, Yeah, but hey, buddy, um, are, are you sure this is what it is? And, and, you know, like Gideon went back to the Lord. David goes back to the Lord. But... Uh, the Lord's fine with this one here in that. You can spend some time thinking about that one through. Uh, so they say, hey, can you check on this to make sure? So David does. He goes back, verse 4, that David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him again, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now, one of the things we kind of picture in this is, I think we would have a tendency, and I would have the tendency to picture this as though David is in this situation. And by the way, 98% of life is not these kinds of decisions. Okay, this is, this is kind of the scenario of like the 2% of life. Like It's like, God, what do we do right now? Uh, in that. And so I, I kind of picture David off, you know, maybe on his knees, uh, off in this dirt infested area and praying unto the Lord like you and I would. I actually don't think that's quite the picture. And I want to try and show us this because I, I actually, I think if we understand the picture, what's going on with David, we'll better understand the picture of us on our knees before the Lord. So, what's going on? Uh, the context before, chapter 21, verse 1, David goes to Nob. Uh, it's the uh, priestly city. David goes to Nob. Why does he go to, to Nob there? Because uh, Jonathan had just told him, given him the sign that he needs to head out because his dad is, uh, Saul's dad is wanting to take him out. So he goes to Nob. Why? Uh, to, to be with the priest Ahimelech. Why? Because Ahimelech, we learn in chapter 22, inquired of the Lord for David. Why didn't David just get on his knees there and pray directly? No, uh, there's a priestly reality that's going on. We saw that in chapter 21. In chapter 22, we see David in Moab. And in verse 3, uh, he says that he's going to stay there. He dropped his parents off there. And he's going to stay there until he knows what the Lord has for him. How does we find out what the Lord has for him? Uh, David finds out through the prophet Gad what the Lord has for him in that. Then we come to the end of chapter 22, 
And in verse 20, uh, I remember this uh, last week, uh, Doeg the Edomite, uh, Saul has him go and just mass murder the 85 priests as well as the city of Nob, uh, the priestly city, and, and in all that just catastrophe, the text tells us, verse 20, but one of the sons of Ahimelech, uh, the son of Ahituv, uh, named Aviathar, escaped. And David said to him, and he, he goes to David, and David said, stay with me, keep that, and, and I will keep you in safe keeping. So so David, Aviathar, the, the one remaining priest, comes to David, and then we find in the text, verses 1 through 3, David is inquiring of the Lord. Now, the following text, uh, context, let me read verses 6 through 12, will add to this idea. The, the, the events aren't as important as what's happening here in the inquiring of the Lord. Verse 6. When Aviathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David uh, to Keilah, that was end of chapter 22, he's already there, uh, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. You can Google ephod, it's the priestly kind of garment uh, uh, centerpiece, it has the jewels on it and all this, and it has the uh, uh, Urim and the Thummim in it uh, uh, that they would use to cast uh, for God's uh, direction on that, and uh, he had come down with that in verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. Dude, you don't know a single thing of what God is doing. <laughs> if you've been following the story here, but I'll tell you, that's what happens when we get warped out. We begin thinking that God is in things, that God is not in things. God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Verse 8, and Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. He's going to war in this city, really not even so much to besiege the city, but to take out David. He's on a rampage. Verse 9, David knew that Saul was plotting against him, and he, and he said to Viathar the priest, David said to Viathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord... The God of Israel, your servant, has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender to me? Will, will Saul come down as your servant heard? Oh, oh Lord God of Israel, hey, hey, how's this prayer going through? This prayer is going through the priest. Okay? It's going through the priest. The, the author, uh, the human writer of the book is not so much interested in telling us all the details of everything we might want to know or exactly how to, but there is the priest is involved here who had already come down in this time, uh, keep reading, and the Lord said, I think it's the Lord spoke out of the priest being there. Uh, it could have very well be that they, that they, if you will, cast the lots of the Urim and the Thummim, and the Lord spoke through that with what's going on. And uh, the Lord uh, said, uh, I'm sorry, where am I at? Verse 11, we'll just go there. Uh, well, the men of Keilah surrendered to me, and then down, uh, he said, verse 12, there we are. <laughs> Hang with me, friends. Verse 12, then David said, uh, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my uh, men into the hand of Saul? He's asked two questions again, and the Lord said, uh, this is through the priest, they will surrender you. What am I getting? What I am getting at here is point number one. Aviathar is the priest that stands in the gap. Aviathar is the priest that stands 
in the gap. It's important to understand, if I could say, the mechanics, the relationship of David inquiring of the Lord, seeking for direction from the Lord in this. And I think, actually, in, chapter, in the first four verses, in those inquiries, as well as these inquiries, because it was done in chapter 22 through the prophet, chapter 21 through the priest, that all of this is happening through the priest. David isn't out on his knees alone praying, but this is happening through the priest. And friends, that means there is one who is standing in the gap for David. Bring that to today. There is one who has come and entered in to die on the cross to rise from the dead, to then be available to be the one to stand in the gap for you and me. In fact, would you turn to Hebrews 4? Because I cannot have that conversation of saying there is one, a high priest, who stands in the gap without going to Hebrews 4. And let me note a couple other verses while you're turning there. John 3.16, field goal verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Question, what did Jesus do? Jesus was the one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The second person of the Trinity came to step in the gap for us. And then I think of 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between the Father and men, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus came to stand in the gap. First Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, the mediator. Uh, Jude, verses uh, 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of the Father's glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a mediator. Hey, friend, know this. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you go in and read through the rest of Romans chapter 3, you'll find out that the theological, biblical truth that all of us are separated from God because of sin. We are separated from God because of sin. And you and I cannot, because of sin, step into the presence of God as that. You and I need a mediator. We need someone to clear the situation, to clear our eternal problem up. And scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, the one who created all things, by the way, Colossians 1, came, put boots on the ground to go to the cross to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves, to stand in the gap. And Palm Sunday is the day he enters in to stand in the gap for you and me. Hey, have you come to a place where you've understood that because of sin, you and I are utterly separated from God because of our sin, but there is one who has come to stand in the gap and says, I would love to be able to be your savior. And I will, 1 Peter 3.18, I will impute my righteousness onto you, covering you, 
All you have to do is receive me and let's go together. Have you come to that place? Because know this, just truth of the matter is, I don't get a kick out of saying this at all, but if you and I, one day when it comes, whether by death or by the end of times, comes to where we have to stand before God, you need a mediator. And this time of the year, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, boom, mediator has come and is available. And Hebrews 4, look at this. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. By the way, that is so cool because the one who died on the cross and is available to be your Savior, if you've come to Christ, if you've received him as your Christ, confessed and repented of your sin and received Christ, Christ and turned around walking with him, know this, you don't only have a savior and a mediator who imputes his righteousness on you, you have a mediator and a savior who gets you. And so when you and I go like, oh man, no one understands my struggle with sin, he's like, do? I do. That's what the text says. Tempted in every way as we are. Man, that's encouraging. Because he's like, I get it, bro. I get it, girl. But without sin, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in the time of need. Hey, David was in a time of need. And he had, I, I think what's going on, all the way from chapter 21, chapter 22, building into chapter 23, there is this priestly mediator that stands in the gap. And that is the whole reality of post-Christ and the cross and the empty tomb, the reality for us, friends. Hey, guys, I'm just going to say it this way. We have it better. And so often we feel like, oh man, I ain't got nothing. Yeah, I just. <laughs> it's like, friend, the throne is available. Why don't we run there more? David is inquiring of the Lord. Man, I want that story to be our story. I want this story to be my story and your story. People doing that. And by the way, out of that, we ask, well, well how does the God then speak to us today? And that's a whole other sermon, a sermon series, but let me just put out a couple uh, thoughts here on that. Because we're a kind of people who, well, over the years, I've just observed it, both in myself and I think with most people, what we're really wanting is we want to feel a feeling with God that we feel like we have a feeling that God has allowed us to feel, to be able to have the feeling on what to be able to feel at the next move. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm praying for the feeling, man. 
David wasn't. There's literally a priest there, and I think in the whole process of it. And I'll say this, I agree with Arnold when he says, the means of divine guidance has changed as biblical revelation has progressed. Uh, Listen, we have God's written word. And listen to a couple of these passages that speak about God's written word. Ephesians 6.17, And the sword of the Spirit, the armor, and the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It's not a feeling. The sword of the Spirit is not to feel that. It's not that. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The, word, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the people of God and even those who are without Christ to come to understand truth. It's not about a feeling. If, if the Word of God is good enough for the Spirit of God, I don't know, kind of makes sense to me that it should be good enough for us. Well, let me add a couple more. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scriptures God breathed is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. The man of God, that the woman of God, that the teen of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not most of them. Everyone. And then one more. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted us Everything we need for life and godliness. Hear me, not just godliness, but life and godliness. I've never heard God speak to me. You won't hear me use that terminology unless I actually hear God speak. Uh, listen, God could do miraculous things and, and read stories of people in far off places that through dreams and so forth that God has revealed himself. And I believe that God can do that. But the reality is, is that for us, we have the word of God, uh, the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, uh, the question is what chapter and what verse comes along with that? Because if it's good enough for the spirit of God, it's good enough for me. And I think for us. That's why we're to be a people of the book. And the priest of Eathar stands in the gap for David, allowing David to receive direction from the Lord. And I would submit that we have a Savior that allows us to approach the throne of God uh, and with boldness and with confidence that there is grace there, not just cru- not a crushing thing, but there is grace that is there. And in that, God is speaking through the Spirit, through His Word. Friends, we're not looking for a feeling. We're looking for God's word. And that means we need to be a people of his word. And that, uh, that's the big point much faster from here. The priest who stands in the gap. And then what do we see in the text? Well, we see David and his men are the ones who step out in faith. Look at verse five. After David inquires of the Lord twice, verse five, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought. Oh, oh, duh, Doug. No, don't miss those. They're in this point where David's like, Lord, what do we do? And, and I think through this priestly uh, standing in the gap process, the, the Lord uh, tells them that's what you're to do. And then they go to the, the men and they're like, their lives are on the line. And they're like, are you sure, man? <laughs> because it's kind of like we got a bunch of stuff stacked against us compared to them. 
like they have more. And they're big. And, and can you check that? He's like, I'll check it. And so he does it, and God in his grace is like, I'll, I'll confirm it. And, and then what do they do? Even in their concern, might I even say in their human fear, they go. God spoke and they acted. It's the same thing in verse 13. After the next time, then David and his men, who were about 600 now, arose and departed to Kayla, and they went wherever they could go. Don't miss the fact when God's people step out in faith and faithfully then act. It's a deal. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't spend time in God's word to become, a, to become a jeopardy people. We don't study God's word to be the one who can name the weirdest dude in the Bible that no one else in my row can name. That's not why we're in it. We're in God's word to see God and to learn God and, and, and who he is and what we are and, and, and what he has and, and how to live and then we're to act faithfully on that. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Oh, and by the way, the result that God promises is my growth and his glory. Doesn't mean that God's going to make my life easy. Man, for those uh, you know, who, who, who preach a prosperity gospel, I would love to see them have a conversation with David. He's like, dude, do that. I'm telling you, I went through 10, 12, 13 years of living Hades. There was no prosperity there. I lived in that. No air conditioning. Wandering with my life being chased down. Never lose sight of the, man, they stepped out in faith. And then verse 14, Elohim, the God who is sovereign in it all. Verse 14, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. Look at this, look at this. But God did not give David into his hand. That's cool. The one who... The God who is sovereign in it all. Friends, the Lord is sovereign in the details. In fact, listen to what his word says. Psalm 139. O Lord, you know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is even on my tongue, you know it all together. Whew, that's scary. <laughs> Where can I go from your presence? You formed me. You knitted me together. My frame is not hidden from you. you listen to this line in Psalm 139. In your book were written the days that were formed for me. Huh? Hmm. In, your, in your book were written the days that were formed for me. No, no. Sit on that one for a while. God is sovereign. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that all things work together for the good. We love verse 28. 
but we forget to go to verse 29 that tells what the good is. Because we like verse 28 because we think it's all going to turn out rosy and creamy and nice and hot chocolate and dove chocolate. But the fact of the matter is, is verse 29 explains what the good is, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That means even for David in all these years, God is working in David's life to form him to be more like his Savior through it. I don't think David would go, you know what, this has been a great time. I I wouldn't want anything different. I think David would be praying, I want out, Lord. Lord's like, nope, still in James chapter one, because I'm gonna trial your faith so that you would mature in me. Isaiah 55, eight, the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. You know those times when you just go, I wouldn't do it that way. God's like, I know. That's why you're not in this seat. One more, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For the fiery furnace, Daniel 3, 16 through 18. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, love these dudes. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. I don't know if I ever would have thought of that. I'm like, if I'm standing in front of a furnace, I'm thinking me, and there, I'm out. I I really don't even think I would be thinking me, and there, and God could do something. But these dudes are. But listen to this. They say, uh, our God who is able to deliver us, but then in the following sentence says, but if not... You realize how key that is? Here are these three young men before this furnace, life on the line. Hey, uh, uh, go ahead, toss us in. Because God is able to spare us out of that. Oh, and by the way, if God's sovereign will is that we don't survive through that here, Lord be praised. Friends, this is a view of the sovereignty of God. And we see it in the text. God didn't give David into their hand. It wasn't because David was awesome. It's because God is awesome. And if we have a small view of God's sovereignty, a small view of God's providence, we will have a small view of God, we will have a small view of his word, and we will have a big fear. Because if we don't believe that God is sovereign... And I'm telling you straight up, I cannot explain all of how that fleshes itself out because there are a whole lot of things that don't make sense to me. Oh yeah, Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But I do know whose thoughts are in charge. And as it all works out, the God over all things will make it all work. And I will never have a moment, you and I will never have a moment where we're like, God, that, you are a little bit, yeah. That won't be happening. If we don't have a big view of God's sovereignty, we won't have a big view of God, we won't have a big view of his word, and fear will reign. The priest who stands in the gap, the one who steps out in faith, the God who is sovereign in it all, and lastly, Jonathan. Oh, I love this dude. The 
the one who strengthens the hand. Verse 15 through 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, probably up in Gibeah, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you, Saul. My father also knows this. So many things we could talk about that. Verse 18, And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained in Horish. Jonathan went home. They usually don't tell the end of stories, but they don't see each other again. The one who strengthens the hand. By the way, do you see in the text strengthens the hand in God. Two things with this. The one who strengthens the hand. We all need Jonathans. We all need Samwise Gamgees. Question. Are you placing yourself around Jonathans? We are a very independent separated people, our culture, us Americans. We actually don't do community that well. And in this, this has been something that has been building between David and Jonathan. Do you, do you have someone, someone's like this? I'm not just talking about someone who loves you. I am legitimately talking about someone who loves the Lord, who sees life biblically, who is seeking to do life biblically, and who speaks life through a biblical lens. That's an altogether different reality than just someone who loves you. And we're not talking about someone who is just going to strengthen you in you. That's what our world does. You are awesome, man. You think it, it'll happen. Hey, young ones, I'm not a professional football player, and I thought it when I was young. Not even close. <laughs> we just, if you think it, you can do it. I just want to tell you, that is just False. Not to, build in, not to build them in themselves either. Like, trust in me, I got it all together. I am the great wise one. Now listen to what I have to say to you. Not that. And not bringing in worldly philosophy. But do you see it? And he came and he strengthened them in God. He took them to the Lord. And you can spend some time on what he says there. And I'm actually sure it's more than that. But people like that, man, we all need Jonathans like that. Do you place yourself around them? And then secondly on this, we all need to be Jonathans. Note verse 16. I think the, the big thing that differentiates Jonathan from anyone else is the fact that he strengthens David's hand in God. And notice in verse 16, he rose and went to David. 
He, he, he didn't wait for David to give him a call or send him a text or an email. He went to David. And by the way, in Gibeah, Gibeah was a lot nicer place than Ziph. So he's leaving comfort to go to uncomfort to comfort his Frodo. That's what Sam's do. That's what Jonathan's do. They will get up and go, but, but uh, uh, and I am so grateful for so many of you who do that. Times as a pastor, I hear of people who have done things and gone to people that oh, just blesses my heart. Who go to strengthen our children over here in the hand of God. And our students, those in soul care, and those who just write kind words. I desire that in us, increasingly so. And with that, I'm just going to press into us for just a moment on, on that. Because I think there's a tendency actually for God's people to instead of being rising and going, we can more easily be weight and wine. You know, who's got their eye on me? Who's rising up and coming to me? I've thought that straight up. And so have you. Because we're human. And we have a tendency to wait and then whine. And yet Jonathan, out of the text, is one who rises and goes to. That. I want that. I want that in me and I want that in us. Jonathan people who rise and go to strengthen each other's hand in God. Well, just like the first service, I don't have time to read the latter half of the chapter. And that's okay. Because the latter half of the chapter really highlights one point that I would like to note, and you can spend some time with it. Let, let me just tell it. So Saul goes after David in the region of Ziph. And, and Saul brings his men, and David's men are there. And if you read it, it's really intended to be intense. You can hear the music behind it. And, and Saul's coming, and David's, in, David's on one side of the mountain, and, and Saul's on the other side coming. And, and then you come to verse right into verse 26. Uh, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain and David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David, David, no, you're gonna go down and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul. What the kawinky dink of that? A messenger came to Saul right in like the last hour saying, hurry, come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. One more time, God is actually working through the Philistines who do not worship Yahweh. God is working with them in his province to have them come and attack just at the right time. It's all quite unique. And, and Saul is about to come on David and, no, I gotta go. And God spares David. And I just say in this, friends, one more time, our God is sovereign. 
And I think David would say the same words that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say. That if the Lord would have this come and take my life, he is still God as well. Let me pull it together this way and finish. Life is in a whirlwind and crazy hard for David. And time and time again, and it's been years and years and years, like about a decade of this. And yet here we see in chapter 3, just like chapter 22, just like chapter 21, that David is inquiring of the Lord. And I suggest that we see this pattern of David inquiring of the Lord through the priest and prophet. And through that, God is speaking, and then David, when he hears what God has for him and for his men, they act in faith. And, and then they act in faith even knowing that God is perfectly and fully sovereign. And then one of the icing on the cake, sweet things in it all, there's people like Jonathan who come in when you're like ready to bag it and just are like, let me strengthen your hand in the Lord. And we carry that to today. Life can be hard. And we're wondering what to do. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you have one who stands in the gap, allowing you to be able to go to the throne with confidence, knowing that our Father could save, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or could do something else. But we have access there and we go there and we inquire of the Lord and the Lord responds and I think the vast majority of that is God speaks through his word. And in all of that, we act upon it. James chapter one, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Knowing that God is sovereign in it all, And that we go being and experiencing Jonathans who strengthen our hand in the Lord. That story in us. So Lord, we ask that. We ask for your help. We we would even just ask here as we uh, leave today together that um, we would be increasingly aware of of your sovereignty, increasingly aware of opportunities around us. God, it's, we tend to wait. I pray we would be rising and going people, seeking opportunities. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people on our knees, knowing that in that time there is this divine exchange that is taking place that we should not be able to to have this conversation with you even right now. And yet our Savior, our mediator, means that you hear and you speak. Might we just be more aware and charged up about all of that in our life. And all for the fame of your name. In Christ we pray. Amen.